podcaster, I hardly know her. (laughs) Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast, hosted by me, Megan McCaleb. If there's one thing I've learned in this life, it's that I still have a lot to learn. This podcast is your invitation to expand your understanding on all sorts of topics and shake things up a little bit. Listen in and learn something new from the stories, professional insights, and a wide range of expertise shared by me and my incredible guests. And remember, my friends, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things. Today's guest, Stacey Ennis, is a best-selling author, coach, and speaker on a mission to help leaders clarify their ideas and harness their unique story to make an impact. Along with being the founder of Nonfiction Book School, an accelerated author program, she also has a best-selling book co-written with Ron Price called Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Oh, and by the way, she also has an awesome podcast that you should check out called Beyond Better. You can learn more about Stacy at stacyennis.com. Hey friends, really excited to be here today with today's guest, Stacey Ennis, and she has a really cool story and honestly, it has a lot of very powerful tools that I know are very beneficial for a lot of the people that I coach in the the speaking space and people who are really looking to expand their platform and stand out as the authority in their field. Um, And she just has really yummy energy. So I'm excited to bring her on and share um, some insights about what she coaches on. And um, she's doing that whole thing. You know how we say we want to live a life by design. And I was connected to her by a friend, a mutual friend in Boise, Idaho, where I live. And and she lives abroad and is adventuring and running her business um, in a way that she is creating on her own terms. And so I thought it would be really fun. Uh, and inspiring for us to hear that that is possible. You guys, you got to dream big and you got to start executing. So welcome to the stage. And I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Stacey Ennis. Megan, I'm so excited for this conversation. It's going to be great. Yay. So I really just want to kind of start off. I was so excited when we got connected and I was nosing around your Instagram at first and kind of you know, doing the usual troll things of seeing, oh, what, you know, especially when someone's like, oh, I thought you guys would be a great connection. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder what things sparked that. And so we definitely have a lot of like parallels as far as speaking, having uh, published books, although you're way ahead of me on having multiple books and all sorts of amazing things. And you guide people into that, their own creation of books. Um, But I would love to hear a little bit about the journey that got you to like where you are at present day of like what, what took you to uh, your, I know you're near Portugal, but what, how do, how are you fulfilling the life of your dreams uh, as it were? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I grew up in Boise up until I even went to Boise state for my undergrad. So like my whole young life was in Boise um, and I met my husband in my undergrad And he had this plan to move abroad and it was very dramatic because like he was going to leave the country and I was so sad because I'd met this great guy. And then he decided to stay and do his master's degree. And he's like, but the deal is you have to come with me. So we're going to leave the U S when I'm done with my master's. I was like, okay, okay. So um, we moved to the Dominican Republic as teachers at an international school, moved to Vietnam after that taught there and then I went to grad school, came back to the U.S., um, went to Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, and um, 
I think we always kind of held this dream of, of going back abroad, but then we had our babies. So we were back in the U.S. for eight years. And um, all that whole time, we just really held on to this dream of living abroad. And I had been kind of building my business along the way. So in all these countries we've been in, in grad school, and it started to kind of take off in, in graduate school. And I always held this, this base to the business that like the business has to be with me. Like it has to be able to move to wherever I am. And I never want to be stuck anywhere. I want to have the freedom to go anywhere and work anywhere and be anywhere. So I built from the beginning, that's what I built. And so fast forward, we moved to Thailand um, in 2019, sorry, in 2018. Big disaster. So many good things, but there were so many really, really hard things about living there. And we ended up leaving after 10 months and um, coming back to the US for a little bit for visa stuff to Portugal. And we've been here for four years. Oh, wow. um, and it's been a cool journey because I think there's a lot of fear tied into moving your family abroad. And will my mm -hmm. business, you know, will it drop? Will it at least maintain? And what's been amazing is my business has grown and all of the like so many amazing things that I never could have thought were like I didn't even envision that we're living now today. Oh, wow. I think that is so incredible. You said a couple of things that just really stood out to me. First of all, you have been working on this for a while. Like these, these things are not overnight successes. These are things that you have to cast a vision and hold on to the vision, allow some adaptability in there. Um, but you really, it sounds like stayed true to like, okay, these are the goals. These are where we're heading and still chipping away with all of the, the different things as you could. Um, and, and, and still just like, making it happen. Like people, I think, yeah, there's a huge fear of like, will business slow down and whatever. And like the globe is connected with the click of a button. I mean, really like how much, uh, I mean, a lot of your work is done virtually, right? Do you have a lot of local clients or is it a good mix now that you kind of have your roots down there? Like, where are you feeling that growth, um, within your business space? Yes. Interesting. Um, most of it's virtual, but sometimes we, you know, either me or my team go to clients. In the past, when I was younger in my business, I used to think it was so cool to travel all the time and like be on the road for business. And now to me, one of the most amazing things that's happened in my business is that clients come to me now, like mm -hmm. they will come to Portugal to work with me. Oh, wow. And I, I just think that's amazing to be able to be here with my family and that people will literally travel across the world to come and work with me in person. So sometimes they'll come here, but a lot of times we're, we're virtual. So I get to do a lot yeah. of it on, on zoom. Yeah. Amazing technology. <laughs> it's so great. And um, like the barriers of what, I, maybe that is just because when we grow up in one little community and I am so guilty of this, cause I was not only born and raised in Boise, Idaho, but I still, live here. I've never actually lived oh, anywhere else. It's I've, an amazing place to live. It's so. great. Yeah. And it's a great place to raise a family. I totally, I love it. I love all the recreation. My whole family uh, lives here again. Some of them moved away and came back. And a lot of the times when I've traveled, then I come home and I really actually appreciate like, this is where it is such a great place to live. And yet, you know, sometimes even in my own business mindset, I'm like kind of in this cocoon of like, feeling like, oh, I didn't know exactly how to scale for the longest time. And I would feel like there was a lot of barriers and and that I had to travel in order to be treated like 
you know, especially as a speaker, and this is something we work with a lot in the speaking space is like, sometimes you get treated a lot differently when you are flown to like an event in another state and you're sort of like the out of state, like yeah. expert versus how you're treated in your own community sometimes. And so there's a lot of growth and learning. And yet, yeah, having that, you are like living proof of being able to put your roots down where you want them and create something that's thriving even more than you might have imagined as yeah. you started that. That's so amazing. I love that perspective. And I, you know, that feeling that you have when you come home, what's interesting is I feel that now in Portugal. So oh. that, that feeling of like going away and coming back. And I didn't know I could feel that in another place because we'd never been anywhere long enough to have that experience, but we've been here nearly four years now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this is, I think it's really important that like, sometimes we, we make, um, we have, might have a mindset that like, oh, you should go out and like, maybe try to live somewhere new or, you know, have different experiences. Sounds like you travel, which is amazing. And you get that kind of world, world experiences. But I think it's really important that each of us like find that home that aligns for us. And mm. for many of my friends back home, that is home. Like Boise feels very aligned for them. I always felt a sense of discontent. And I, and I wanted to like go out. I always had this dream of moving to New York because I read the Babysitter's Club growing up. Yes. Stacy, the main character who has my namesake, she was always going to New York. So that was my dream. But I think I always felt this like restlessness. And so for me, it didn't feel values aligned to stay. But for mm -hmm. so many people, it does. And I love that we all get to be intentional in that like decision of where we are. But then yeah. also to know that we always have opportunity to shift or change or or like if you do have a dream of going abroad, it's completely possible and doable. Like it's absolutely totally. something that you can make happen. Yeah. Oh, totally. And sooner rather than later. I, like, I feel like at least one good change in the world these days has been like not waiting till retirement or quote unquote mm -hmm. retirement to like start traveling, like create the life that you want now and take the opportunities and make the opportunities. We have to actually be, like you said, intentional about like where we put ourselves and how to, how to maximize our existence. I think it's, so we feel like we're in alignment. I would love to hear shifting gears a little bit to like, I want to know about your, your book space. So did you write a book first and then you were like, Oh, I could help other people do this. Did you help someone like, which came first, the book or the, or like, I'm like the chicken or the egg. How, how do you say that in regards to publishing a book versus helping people publish books? But I want well, to hear your journey in the author space. Oh uh, yeah. So I would say my journey started at age seven. I mean, really, I, I truly attribute it to that age because that was the age that I read the Chronicles of Narnia, which was like my first experience in literary delight. And then it was the year I wrote my first poem and I placed in like a state poetry contest. I got second, which was not enough to build an ego, but it was enough to make me feel encouraged. And, and then I went on to get my bachelor's and my master's in writing. And so it's really been this like thread my whole entire life of books being central. The educational component, and then I was an English teacher. I taught high school language arts. Um, that gave me some of like the skill that I needed to work with people. And I started out actually, I founded my business when we lived in the Dominican Republic. And I had a really terrible business idea at the beginning. I had this idea that I was going to go around to restaurants and like tourist spots 
and help them have better menus and like like <laughs> on, online. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I just thought I would like help them all have better like English language stuff. Their their uh, establishments. Nobody hired me. Um, and then I, I made this goal, and I think this is really important. It's something I love to share with younger people, especially. Um, I wasn't getting traction in, I had this goal of travel writing and all these things I wanted to do. And so I was like, why am I not getting traction? So I set a goal of sending 30 query letters in 30 days. And a query letter to a publication takes like three to four hours to write. It's not a small thing. You have to review their publication. You have to know what their submissions criteria is. You have to put together a custom pitch. And so I did that um, every day for 30 days. And only one replied, and it happened to be a book editing opportunity, which turned into a ghostwriting opportunity, which then triggered somebody to introduce me to a publisher, which led to my first editing opportunity. And it was like that ripple effect, but it was that first effort that I think was like the tide turner, right? And then it's just kind of unfolded from editing into writing into the coaching and speaking that I do today. Um, and, and so much joy in getting to still be in this world. Yeah, absolutely. What is, um, do you have like a favorite part like of, of the book process? Do you love the actual writing part or do you love editing words that are already written? Like what's your, what really lights you up in the process? Well, Megan, you are an experienced author, so you know what it's like to go through the writing process, right? Um, so I specialize in idea to draft. That's the, the portion of the book journey that I specialize in. And the reason that I chose that one, because it's the writing phase and that's where I wanted to create my world. I Lots of great connections in publishing. I, I love the world of publishing, but I want to be in the writing. And so that's what I help people do. I help them take an idea and create a draft, create a book draft. Um, and what I love about this, and I'd be curious to hear from you on your experience, is, you know, we often go into it with this goal of like, the goal is to have written a book, right? Mm -hmm. Like not necessarily to write a book, like we want to be at the end, and we want it to be out. Um, but we often don't think about that process. And what I think is so beautiful is that when you write a book, you go on a journey, and it's a journey of self discovery, it's a journey of clarity. And for most people, it's a journey of some sort of transformation. And I get to be witness to all of that. Like I get chills even just talking about it because it's such a profound experience. And anybody that goes into it with that intention of being fully engaged, they are very likely to get to experience the full range of beauty that that, that author journey holds. Oh, yeah. I was totally getting chills just listening to you talk about it. I have been a little resistant on my second book because the first book was like, oh, whoa, it was so, it was an experience and it was kind of an accelerated little window, not, not intentionally, uh, just from what I was dealing with, with some challenges in my, uh, marriage at the time. And I was pregnant with my youngest and I like felt it was time. And yet I was like, oh crap, how do I do this? But that emotional journey of like all the unpacking and really getting that clarity on who I am as a person and seeing how I could just be a even better person. Like I thought, I remember thinking, even if I'm the only one that reads my own book, 
that would be a success. Like to have seen it go from scraps of notes and just like really diving in to having the storylines start to come together and the other little nuggets that came up, like when you really kind of let yourself get into that space and realizing how much juicy uh, goodness is in our subconscious that we maybe hadn't thought about in a while. But yeah, and that's why I think I am so excited about helping people follow that drive or that desire. And yes, it's great to get to the finish line of like, yep, it's done. But that process is itself very transformative and very healing and very empowering. And I see that a lot in the people I work with in the speaking space, because sometimes when people share their stories, they've never shared them before. I will get on like a discovery call with someone and they're like, I feel like I'm supposed to speak and I'm supposed to share these stories. And yet they, they've never told things. There's sometimes where secrets have never been told about something they did as a teenager. And there is like 30 years later, you know, and the emotions that come with that anyway. So I don't want to tangent way too long, but yeah, I think that that is, there's a lot of power in, in just that process of giving your, yourself the permission to put your stories on paper. It's like a journal and all the things anyway. Yeah. I, Megan, I'd love to build on that. Cause I think yeah. you pointed something out that's really important. And most people in their whole lives will never spend as much time in introspective space as an author, somebody who mm-hmm. like craft. So you craft a, you have a goal and then you, you actually craft out the time to sit with your own thoughts. So not only to process them, but then you are translating those thoughts so that other people can take them in. Mm-hmm. And the, the effort, the internal kind of clarity that you have to find, and then the effort that you have to use to then get that onto paper is something most people will never experience. And I think that's why it's so powerful. It's that introspective journey and that journey of clarity. Do you ever work with people who aren't, they're like not ready yet? Like a, they haven't understood, like, or they don't understand the depth that they need to be willing to go. Does that make sense? Or like, I'm almost thinking too, and sometimes it speak, sometimes people think they want to be on stage and they they're still like in a, in a, in like a trauma cycle almost. And it's speaking from more of like, these things happen to me versus like really seeing the process of our life experiences and coming from like a healed, like now we're looking at it more, you know, of what we can take from it to serve others. Um, Does that make sense? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I would love for you to expand on like, how do people, get into that ready position if they're not already like do you help guide with them there or are they like is there some people that just maybe are not able to do it i don't know yeah so in the work that i do i um i don't work with projects that have like a trauma connection generally so i specialize in business leadership personal development although personal development usually has stories right attached to that sure. um, yeah. and social equity and we do science and wellness as well um, but what I what I will say is that sometimes people view they they come to a book thinking that telling their story is for others, but really it's kind of for themselves. If any, if ever I see that happen, where somebody's coming to a project, whether 
they reach out to me because they're on my email list or, you know, whatever. There's lots of times I connect with people that I don't actually work with. Um, and so if anybody's listening to this and they've been through something like that and they're like, I want to write about it, I would encourage you to do that, but I would encourage you to do it with the support of a therapist. I highly recommend if you are working on a project that has anything to do with trauma that you've undergone, that you should have somebody that is aware that you're working on that and that is checking in with you on a regular basis because it really can pull up some really, really hard stuff. And um, that's not often a safe space for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, that is super important. And um, yeah, that's kind of pulling some things back to like a lot of the space of where my coaching clients are for speaking is they're usually very seasoned experts in some industry and they're really wanting to have control over how they spend the rest of their career. And a lot of times they're either stepping away from corporate, doing their own thing now or whatever type of a hybrid. Some people still want to just be in their space, but they want to, want to elevate um, the impact and, and share some of those personal stories. So it's an interesting balance, I think, to find both like what fuels them as their individual stories and how to share like enough insights so people understand that they get it. You know, we, we don't want on stage like nobody wants to just hear just data. They yeah. want to know some of the why. And so, yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing to to help guide people, you know. I hope I always hope for people to get on some kind of a journey of self-discovery so that they can have more impact in a, in a in a professional setting, you know? It kind of it's a merging of both of the things but in a really careful structure. <laughs> yeah, and that storytelling piece, I think this is true in speaking and it's true in uh, books. People really underestimate how important a well-crafted and delivered story is to teach something. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when I'm coaching someone or they're working with our, our ghostwriters, um, we really like storytelling is really a core component to even, even like the most non-fictiony non-fiction book you could imagine, you know, like a how-to yeah. book. Yeah. Um, it still has storytelling elements to it. It still needs to be. Uh, the, the reader still goes on an emotional journey, even in a very like strict prescriptive how-to book. And so that's a question that we're always asking people and pulling out of them is like, where is the story? What's the, what's that, that through line, just like in a play that, that pulls through from the first word to the last word. And, um, and that can be, uh, I think, hard sometimes to find that balance that you talked about, but it's, it's through that effort and that awareness and that clarity that you find that you eventually arrive at that, at that right balance. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm super curious. I kind of am loosely familiar with what ghostwriting actually yeah. does, but I would love for you to expand on that a little bit. Like how does that actually work? How can people take advantage of having a ghostwriter? Where, what are the, the pros of having that environment enlisted? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, a ghostwriter is a great option for somebody who maybe doesn't have very much time or even interest in the actual writing of a book. Mm -hmm. And so they want to, maybe they're a, a top expert in, in something mm -hmm. and they, they're very busy or they're really just like not interested. They don't want to sit down and write the book. Well, it makes sense if you've spent 20 years or 15 years honing your expertise in this area that you could partner with somebody who's spent 15 or 20 years honing their expertise in writing and editing. And so that's 
essentially what ghostwriting is. It's marrying expertise with writing ability and to create something that is bigger and better than either of you could have created on your own. The process is through interviews. Um, there's We have a whole system to it. But generally, when you're working with a ghostwriter, they're going to interview you. They're going to learn your voice. They're going to craft a manuscript with you. And you typically, it depends on the process, but you'll come in at different intervals to help shape that and really kind of bring it to life. Mm, that is really interesting. It's a cool process, I will say. I, yeah. I feel like I some of my early clients who were wanting help with writing speeches, I'd be like, I it's not a do it for you. I do it with you. Like you need to do the writing and I can show you how to like reorder certain things or where to expand or where their laugh breaks will be like in a speech because some people can't quite tell. But having humor, of course, is a really important thing. And they'd be like, can you write a joke for me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I can tell you where you're being funny, though, and show you how to expand it. And yeah, it's just so interesting. It's got to be a very special skill. Like a, not everyone could probably be a ghostwriter to be able to like really adapt into someone else's voice and understand how to position that. I think it's incredibly fascinating. Um, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. um, nuance to that. And it's really about the person's voice that I think is the mm -hmm. most difficult piece. When I was early in my career, I was executive editor of Sam's Club magazine, Healthy Living Made Simple. Um, I actually don't know if the magazine exists anymore, but at the time we had 11 million readers and oh. I wrote about half of the magazine, but in different voices. So there was like a pharmacist column and then there was like a celebrity that we'd have that we needed yeah. to like an article together for. And, um, and, and so from that, I learned how to like voice hop and um, and I had to learn how to do it quickly because before I started working in magazines, it would take me like two weeks to write an article. And then when you work in magazines, like the articles do yesterday. And so you have like <laughs> two hours, you know, and yeah. um, and then now I can write an article that used to take me two weeks in literally 30 minutes. Um, and it's better <laughs> than it used to be. Yeah. Oh, so, sure. You know, there's that development of the skill and then that ability to shift and change between voices. And it's hard to find like the developmental track for that. That's why I think real like great ghostwriters are very rare because it's not like you go to ghostwriter school, <laughs> you know, like right. you, know, there, you have to happen to have like some things line up to make you, I think, really great at it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. I have written articles actually in the past, but they were all by, you know, by me and they mm -hmm. were for different publications and stuff. And it was interesting sometimes if I had to change the tone I would write articles for like fire agencies for FEMA programs uh, on in mag you know fire magazines versus like Greenbelt magazine in Boise Idaho where it was like local businesses and it was super fun to learn how to share other people's stories and I definitely I 100% know that all of them sounded like it was me writing, I'm sure, just because of the types of terminology I use. And I'm like, I, I did remember sometimes to edit out like super fun out of like the fire articles. <laughs> but it was hard. It was hard for me to resist like being very me. Um, OK, so in general, story sharing is so powerful and it's such a huge, I think, a huge, um, widely accepted thing for people to share their stories and to feel like their voice matters. I'm curious as you work with clients, especially if they're using it as a way to kind of magnify their message in their area of expertise, 
how are they able to quantify success by merging having like their story out there i mean obviously i'm using that kind of loosely because it doesn't have to be as like heart opening all the gut-wrenching things if it maybe is a, a certain tactical book for a business but talk to me about like some of those shifts that happen when people are leaning into that space of having a, a book as part of their platform yeah well as you know it's a very vulnerable thing to write a book and share any aspect of you even if you're not sharing a hard story like just writing from your perspective and sharing your ideas is an act of vulnerability. And I have um, so many stories of, you know, times that I've sat down with CEOs of major companies who have shed tears um, as they have worked through the book process, because there is a vulnerability just, just in that, in that journey. I think part of what makes the book writing process so powerful is yes, at the end, you have this like ticket into opportunities like keynote and other things like that. But I think part of it is that you start to actually develop that voice. You start to learn how to tell your story and through telling that story on the page, it makes it a little bit easier to tell it on the stage or, you know, in a client call or in other opportunities that it comes up. So I think that that piece of it is, really, really important. I think the other piece, especially for women, true for men too, but certainly for women, um, from a very young age, we are taught that our voices should stay small and mm -hmm. that we should, we should play small. And it can be really uncomfortable as a female writing a book because suddenly you're asking to be seen. Like mm -hmm. publishing a book is a request to look at me and like hear me and and see and read and like acknowledge me. And for a lot of women, that's a really, really uncomfortable, even just to say I'm writing a book and certainly that that book has something to do with my story. It's just mm -hmm. it's an incredibly vulnerable act. And I think there's a lot of growth that happens in those vulnerable moments. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I have noticed quite a few women in my social media network that are like saying they're writing a book and then it'll go weeks, months, all this time starts passing. Sometimes when I see that, I like try to support and I'll be, I kind of check in. I would love to hear your perspective on like when someone's really serious and like really wanting to accomplish it, how vital is it to have guidance or how much, how many more people are successful in actually getting it done if they have someone working with them for accountability and like framework versus people actually getting a bunch out there as self-published. I, I honestly don't even know what the ratios might be, but can you speak a little bit to how do we get more people to feel like they can get to actually putting in the work and, and turning it into a thing instead of just talking about it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I have tried to find the data on how many people, I know that about 80% of people want to write a book. I know that data point. Mm -hmm. oh, what wow. I haven't been able to find is the percentage of people who follow through with writing their book. But from mm -hmm. the digging around I've done, I, I think it's about one to 2%. So I think it's a pretty small percentage of people. Well, I know it's a small percentage. I'm not sure how small that percentage is, but it's, it's, it's minuscule. Yeah. And I mean, it's like any other goal, Megan, it's, you know, it's, it's, we set a goal and if it's big, we're 
pretty unlikely to accomplish it unless we have accountability, we have a structure around it, we have a clear plan, we have metrics that we measure, and we have put some skin in the game in some way. So it's like yeah. any other goal that we set, um, writing a book for a lot of people feels really big. They have been fed a lie that like this magic fairy comes to their house one day and like sprinkles genius dust on them and suddenly they <laughs> sit down and, you know, write a book. And um, I think what people don't realize is that actually there's a lot of um, discipline that is really like the crux of being successful. Discipline mm -hmm. and planning. Um, planning meaning I fully articulate my book idea. I fully outline my book. I create a clear writing plan for myself with deadlines and dates and then I execute that um, with accountability. And so uh, I, it feels frustrating to a lot of the people that I talk with when they say, you know, I sat down, I had this great idea. I got like 5,000 words in and then, you know, I just put it away. Mm -hmm. Or even some people, this is really common, they get to 20,000 words, which is a little less than half of the average book length mm -hmm. of a nonfiction book, about 50,000 words. And um, this is a well-known abandonment point in the industry is 20,000 words. It's when a lot of people give up and it's mm. because they can get a lot of creative energy to get those 20,000 words done. And then they get there and they're like, I don't even know if this is like making sense. I don't know what to do from here. And mm. so they just put it away. And that's, I, I feel like it's just a shame if you've taken a little bit more time at the beginning to plan all of that energy that you used would have been in the right direction and you would have had a clear path to finish. The key that I see for a lot of people is a knowledge gap, a skill gap. Mm. Uh, they think because I can write, I can write a book. They're two totally different skills, yeah. completely different skill set. And then the other piece is this myth that you have to be this like lonely writer doing it by yourself. Um, <laughs> Where actually like it can be super fun and you can have accountability and support either with a coach like me or even with a friend yeah. that you regularly check in with each other and support each other along the way. Oh, I love that. Oh, there's so many good nuggets in there. I'm curious what, um, so on average, when someone is starting, let's say more the, the right way, meaning they're really intentionally like, okay, I'm entering this space and I want to plan. Is there like a good range of like how to understand what that type of time commitment is? Like what's a realistic deadline? Like I want, I'm curious if even mine was normal. I, cause mine was short. I mean, it was, it was less than five months from when I said go to, it was in print, but wow. I hired, I hired a team so that it would have editing, proofing the cover, like all the things. And I, even though I'm like, I'm a really good writer, I still was like, I don't know what order these things go in. Like, and I put way too much in that was like kind of derailing from the point of the book, you know? So like, I know that at least from the speaker space too, sometimes people are like, oh, they don't know if they can commit to like my 12 week speaker accelerator. Cause they don't know how much time it'll take to create like a really juicy signature keynote. So I have to kind of give them like a window. What is that like? Um, my questions are always, 12 sentences long before you get I to it. it. I love it. <laughs> and there, so like, yeah, how does that, what, what does that look like? I'd love for people if they're kind of going, man, I feel like there's a book in me. Like what are some general parameters you can give them so they can digest that as it might fit for them? Yeah. So I'll give you an average, but let me just say first, um, some books can come fast and fiery, hopefully with some planning. 
And some books can take a really long time. Like one of my favorite books actually by a Boise author, um, Anthony Doerr, All the Light We Cannot See, took 10 years. It took oh. 10 years from start to finish. Um, it's an amazing book. It's also a novel, which is a bit different than nonfiction. Uh -huh. um, but when I coach authors, it, we, from idea to finished draft is roughly a six month period. So that's okay. the, the container that I typically work within. Um, and for me, that's pretty true on my own books as well. The timeline. So then I, if we could then blow that out a little, let's say you take about six months from idea to finish draft, and then you have another roughly three months for the editing process. So we're talking about nine months. Um, and this is like without blowing your life up. This is my time frame. If you want to still have a functioning existence in the world, you want to do your job and all those things, you can do it in about this time frame. Um, and then if you're following like the full publishing path that includes all the marketing and all of that, that's about a nine month window as well. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation generally, if you want to stay sane, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you were able to stay sane in here, so that's great. Um, stay sane, create a great book, um, and and um, give yourself ample opportunity for a successful book launch is about 18 months total. Okay. Yeah. You can start marketing way before that. You can use that book early, like as soon as you begin writing it. So it's not like you yeah. need to wait to get the benefit of that book, but that's about the time frame that I recommend. I love that. Well, and I, I think that actually is a perfect parallel too to speaking. Like as soon as people start speaking, they start getting clarity on their topic. I'm like, you better start referring to yourself as a speaker yes. and start creating that energy around the vision that you are building. And then it'll, I think it gives some additional layers of accountability of just like putting it out there. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that that is, that's amazing. Do people, so you, I know you specialize a lot on like that writing and that launch mode. Um, do you have other partners then on your team that do those other elements as far as like, Oh, I don't even know how to do the cover or I don't know how to actually get it to print. Like what is, are some of those things available through your team or do you have partners that do things like that? Yeah, I have partners I refer out to on my okay. team. We stay in that idea to draft, although we have some clients that we do, um, annual retainers for content strategy. And then we write their articles for them, usually for major publications like Fortune, sure. Forbes, things like that. Uh -huh. um, but generally we're either ghostwriting or coaching. I have a, a six month writing program. Um, so I'll start my next one in September of this year, 2023. Um, and, and then my team, they're amazing, but most, a lot of them are working kind of more internal so I have a, a marketing person that she does like podcast production and those sorts of things and an ops person. Um, they kind of help keep like the program running smoothly and the client work running smoothly. And, you know, you know, all that it takes, Megan, to run all the things in a business. So <laughs> but lots of partners for publishing and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. OK, cool. Yeah, I like I want people to just really be able to like. Start imagining that. I know I hear that all the time. Almost every speaking client I have also is like, oh, I feel like there might be a book, you know, down the road. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't have to be so far down the road. It's not as out of reach as it might sometimes feel. Um, kind of as we wrap up here a little bit, I want to hear about um, what do you witness from your clients? Like, how, what is it like to see them shine in these new ways, have these different accomplishments where they are 
you know, excelling and expanding in their business by having a book under their belt and having this platform. Can you identify like changes in how they carry themselves, how they are as business people? Talk to me a little bit about like what you get to watch as, as the show unfolds. It's awesome. It's so fun. I get so much joy out of seeing people like the transformation that occurs when their book comes out. You know, I've had many clients who doubled their revenue. They've gotten keynotes. They're getting like more client work than they can handle. And mm-hmm. I think like the book, yeah, that really helps. And of course, especially for keynotes, it's an important like ticket to the stage. But I really feel like a lot of it is that like that journey to confidence that they go through. Many of them are pretty confident coming in. It's not like they're, they'd walk into a room and like hunker down, but it's like that fully stepping into you know, this book. So when I work with people, the book is a catalyst. The book is not the end goal. That's part of why we really focus on personal development, business leadership, social equity, things like that. And so when they say yes to their book, they're not just saying yes to writing a book. They're saying yes to that big vision that they have. And that book is in that sequence of how they get to that big vision. And so what's so cool is I get to watch them on that that road and it just I don't know I don't know what else to say but it just gives me so much deep joy Megan it's like it's almost like a proud parent (laughs) (laughs) oh it's just so wonderful and I get to be part of that like how amazing is that it's so cool oh yeah I love it I got I get chills again just like knowing what that must feel like and seeing like yeah well and it is I'm I I saw some video of myself from when I was watching some of my clients speak recently and I look like such a goof because I was just like ah you know like jaw dropped and just smiling and I get emotional and like watching them like step off the stage when they're like I did it you know it's it's amazing and I, I assumed but I just wanted to hear like I mean a book is a it's a it's a big deal. I mean, it's a, a big commitment and, um, and a lot of the stuff that you do in your space, it's like you're helping people to leave a tangible piece of their legacy that, um, can live, can live on forever. And there's just so many other things that I've like get all sentimental about it, but I just really want to encourage people to take the leap and to like not be afraid to dream big. Um, what, what would you tell someone that is like, maybe on the fence and they're just like, ah, oh, is this even the right thing for me? Like why, why would anyone even want to read what I have to write? What are some words of encouragement you might say to our listeners? Well, the number one thing I hear from people is like, I'll wait a couple of years until I've done X, Y, Z or until things get easier, calm down. I hear this so much. It's always like putting off, putting off. Mm-hmm. And I, I would encourage anybody who has a story to share or they know, like they have that feeling you have, you know, you're wise, you know, if this is the right next step for you, if it's that thing that's going to be a catalyst event for you to reach where you want to go. So if that's your feeling, I really encourage you to trust that inner wisdom and know that at least this has been true for me. I'm not sure for you, Megan, I'd be curious to hear, but the things that like scared me so much when I said, I said, yes, I knew it was right, but I was terrified, Mm -hmm. terrified. Those are the things that turned out to be the 
best things I've ever done. And I think there's something to that. Yep. My finally short answer for once is 100% agree. It is definitely the scariest things that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Even even though they're very hard. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Stacy. you've had so many helpful nuggets and really great insights. I hope that that inspires people. You guys, if you are listening out there and you and you just want to learn more, you can at least start by gathering some information. You can check out StacyEnnis.com. I'm also going to drop some other ways that you can connect with her on social media. So check out the show notes. Um, and I am just, yeah, I appreciate you being on and being part of the podcast. And thank you everyone for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. For information about leadership workshops, public speaker training, and all things kooky Megan, check out improvteamculture.com. We'll catch you next time.